Hello and welcome to Now You're Talking with D, a new podcast launched January 2021. I'm trying to get a message to you. The easiest thing just comes to me. And it comes to you. and welcome to my podcast. Now, what's this podcast about and why should you listen to this one when there are so many others out there? Now you're talking with Dee. Uh, it's about authentic voices, authentic people, whether they're famous, semi-famous, or not so famous. It's about finding real people who want to talk about real subjects, big or small, lighthearted or serious, and everything in between. Now, I've dreamed of doing this podcast for two years now, and I finally decided to buy the equipment during COVID lockdown in 2020. I was one of the lucky ones who didn't lose their job, but I have been furloughed, so I have some time on my hands. So why not start a podcast, right? About me, my real name is not Dee, but it's a name I've used when ordering food on the phone back in New York City, because apparently my real name was too complicated to spell, and the people on the other line couldn't understand it. And that's about as much as I will tell you about myself, as this podcast is less about me and more about my guests and the subjects they want to talk about. I'm just the facilitator and journalist leading the questions and discussion here. So before I talk about the first episode, I would like to thank Scotty B., a musician out of Atlanta, Georgia, for creating the theme music called Pressure for this podcast. Now, Scotty B. is a talented musician who has been in multiple indie rock bands, both in New York City and Atlanta but is now a folksy singer-songwriter. Please support him and other independent artists on SoundCloud. You can find him under Scotty B or Chair the Band. Thanks for that. Now to the topic for episode one. Now the topic for the episode is a very prescient topic, a very interesting topic, but one maybe some of you will not find all that interesting or will probably laugh at. The topic is romance novels, particularly historical romance novels. Now, have I lost any of you? Yeah, I probably lost some of you. But please bear with me here. It's actually a very interesting topic, and the reason why I picked it for topic number one is because of a very popular streaming show on Netflix called Bridgerton. Now, you've probably heard of Bridgerton. If you have seen it, great. You'll be interested in what we'll talk about, especially if you like the show. If you have not seen it, I suggest watching it, even if it's hate watching or somebody's forcing you to watch it, watch it. It's quite good in some ways. For those who have been living under a pop culture rock the last month or so, or who don't have a Netflix account or who don't watch streaming shows, Bridgerton is a multi-episode series on Netflix that is based on a series of eight books written by somebody called Julia Quinn who is a prolific historical romance writer. The first Bridgerton book, The Duke and I, was published in 2000. It follows Daphne Bridgerton, the eldest daughter and fourth child, they are named alphabetically after all, of the Viscount and Viscountess Bridgerton. Now, there are four sons and four daughters in all, and each book relates to one of the siblings. At the start of the series, the Viscount, I think his name is Edmund Bridgerton, has died uh, by a bee sting, and he's left his widow and children behind. Um, They are one big, boisterous, happy family for the most part, even though they're grieving the loss of their patriarch. 
Now, if you know anything about the English peerage, you know that the Viscount uh, is almost at the bottom of the barrel in terms of titles. You have dukes at the top, like Prince Harry, although he's a royal duke, which is a tad higher than a regular duke. Then you have a Marquis, followed by an Earl, followed by a Viscount, and finally a Baron. All are lords, but dukes are the only ones allowed to be called your grace, and barons are the ones with the title sir ahead of their names. Squires can also be called sirs, but they are gentry and not aristocracies, so they are not really included here. So back to the Bridgerton books. Each book follows a single sibling in their search for true love. Each story is different and follows a different romantic trope. There is the marriage of convenience, the marriage for the sake of marriage, the scandal marriage, the forced marriage, etc. Some of these books you'll like more than others. There are some that I like more than others and others you might wish to forget. There's a couple of them that I'm not so keen on. But for all of them, Julia Quinn is a solid, decent writer. Now, the first season of Bridgerton is based on Daphne's book, The Duke and I, and it's one of the favorites among Julia Quinn's fans because they love the hero. His name is Simon Bassett, and he's quite flawed. He has a stutter that he's had since he was a child, and he's suffered emotionally because of it, and they like this flawed hero finding some sort of redemption. So those are the basics about the series and about the books. Now, before I introduce my guest today, um, who's going to talk about all of this stuff, Bridgerton, historical romances, what's good, what's bad... I want to give you a little bit more info about romance novels and why I chose this topic for my first foray into podcasting. Now, I've read a lot of historical romance novels in my life. Now, most of my uh, friends, not my parents, most of my friends probably don't know that because I try to hide it out of embarrassment, but I read a lot of books every year, and most of the books I read are very, are approved by the intellectual elite, let's say. But I do like a good historical romance because it transports me to another world. And if I want a good cry, I can cry. If I want a good laugh, I can laugh. Um, Some of them are really good and some of them are really bad. And we will discuss that today and give you some suggestions on who to read if you're interested in reading something. Now, I've been reading them uh, under the radar since I was a teenager. My parents uh, would take us kids to the library every week, but they never scrutinized what we were reading. They were just happy we were reading outside of school because nobody in our town was doing that. I did get caught once uh, reading a historical romance, and my parents scolded me for it. But as we all know, you can't stop a teenager from doing something that they want to do, especially if it doesn't harm anyone. So I kept reading them, and I've probably read thousands of them at this point. Now, my favorite genre of the historical romance uh, genre of books is the Regency, which is the genre that the Bridgerton series is based in. Um, Now, the Regency was a period in England when the Prince Regent was coming to power, and the Prince Regent, Prince George, a.k.a. Prinny, as they like to call him in the books, is the son of mad King George, who the Americans waged war on and won independence from uh, in 1776. Uh, The Regency is the same period as Pride and Prejudice in a lot of those books, so you'll probably recognize some of the settings and the clothing and the fact that love was very central to marriage. At this time, uh, Napoleon was waging war against Britain and its allies across Europe, and he was trying to dominate Europe. And the Duke of Wellington, who was not the Duke of Wellington at the start of the war, became the Duke of Wellington for winning the war. He's leading the troops across the continent against Napoleon. Now, a limited number of these troops were aristocrats. By historical 
accounts, I think maybe 100, 200 of them were aristocrats. Uh, and most of the troops came from the poor and the working classes, so they suffered the most and were treated quite abysmally when they returned, maimed or injured. But in many of these Regency historicals have an aristocratic hero who did serve in the war, and he has returned from the war either with PTSD or some sort of disfigurement. Now, the Bridgerton series does not delve into this at all. It is very lighthearted, but there are romances set in the same period that deal with more tragic backstories and tragic uh, love affairs. I think this mix of lighthearted and deep make um, this the most popular genre today. Then we have Victorian romance novels. Now, these are obviously set during Queen Victoria's reign in the mid-1800s, and they tend to be darker and more sexual, which I think is a direct response to the society at the time, which was prudish, prim, and proper, and very straight-laced. This is a period when a lot of pornography was making its way out into the world. This is when a lot of erotic imagery was making its way out into the world, when erotic novels were being published, etc. If you like darker, more sexual stories, opt for the Victorian. Then we have medieval romances set during medieval times. The idea of chivalry is central here, but there is so much war and brutality, especially against women, that I tend to avoid them. The Viking romances, which were very popular in the 80s and 90s, have a similar feel, and I avoid them for the same reason. Europe is not the only setting for historical romances. There are some set in Asia and Australia, but not that many. Uh, you do have a subgenre of American historicals, but they should be avoided like the plague. If they aren't hella boring, I am looking at you, Revolutionary War historicals, then they are problematic. The ones set in the American South are particularly offensive because they have what we will call, quote-unquote, happy slaves. <clears throat> now, either the hero or heroine lives on a plantation, but they don't have slaves, they have servants. This is utterly preposterous. And on top of that, they make them super happy to serve the master. Oh, good God, just avoid them, please. The most egregious ones, in my mind, are the Westerns. Now, the heroine is usually fleeing Philly, Boston, or New York because of some scandal of some kind and is trying to start a new life in the West because she is an orphan and penniless. She travels by train to marry someone by proxy, sometimes the hero cowboy, sometimes some ugly villainous banker or rancher. Those are pretty bad, but the Westerns that have a quote-unquote Native American hero are really heinous. Now, you might be thinking, but D, Native American heroes are coolio. Yes, they would be if they were written in a good way, but they're not. The Native American tribes in the stories, usually Apache or Comanche, are villains. They kidnap or torture the girl or rape the girl, and it's up to some half-white half Comanche or half Cherokee, quote-unquote half-breed. Yes, they call them half-breeds to save her. And because he is half-white, he's appalled at the way his native side, the people on the native side, are treating the girl. I can't even express how I feel about them, except blah, please avoid them. But thankfully, like the southern ones, they aren't really written so much anymore. Then there are time travel ones, uh, of which the Outlander series is the most popular. You've probably seen the series on stars with Sam Hewen and Catronia Balfi. Is that her name? I'm sorry if I'm massacring it, uh, which is quite popular and they're well written. Um, not my cup of tea. I like the show, but I've not really read the books, but go for it if you want to. 
Then there are paranormal romances, which deal with shapeshifters, vampires, werewolves. I'm not talking Twilight here. I'm talking about good writers. Go for it if you like that sort of thing, but it's not my thing. And then there are fantasy and sci-fi romances, which are, again, not my thing. But my guest today loves them and can recommend some quality writers because there are people who are writing really good uh, sci-fi and fantasy romances. Now, one last thing before we start. So Julie Quinn is not my favorite writer of the romance genre. My favorite writer is someone called Mary Bellog. It's pronounced Bellog, even though it's spelled B-A-L-O-G-H. I have to promote her, even though she is a New York Times bestselling writer in her own right. She is Welsh by birth, but lives in Canada and has been writing since 1991 or 1992. She has many, many fantastic standalone regencies. Matter of Class is a good one. Beyond the Sunrise is my favorite. But she has also written a series on siblings that might even predate the Quinn series. They're called the Slightly series, and the family is called the Bedouins. The series is very different from the Bridgertons, as it's less lighthearted and more heartfelt, and the romances are richer and deeper. She's also written a fantastic series about a group of friends who have all been maimed either physically or mentally in some way during the wars with Napoleon, and another series on school teachers and Bath, all women who find love. Her prose is wonderful and will either make you laugh or cry or both. Um, Read her and please tell me what you think. Now enough from me. Let's start this podcast. So I'm beyond delighted to introduce my first guest to my inaugural podcast of Now You're Talking with Dee. Her name is Kayla Parent, and she's coming to us all the way from Boston, Massachusetts. Say hi, Kayla. Hi, and hello, new listeners. I'm so honored to be your first guest and to talk about something that I absolutely love, which is romance novels. Um, and what better person to talk to about it with you, because we've talked about it so much in the past. So yes. I'm really looking forward yes. To and besides my one sister who introduced me to romance novels, I think Kayla's the only person I've ever met who's probably read as many, if not more, romance novels than I have, although it's a debate on who's, who's read more. Um, but we both like the same, uh, same genre. Give me a little rundown of like when you started reading them, who introduced you to them, how did you discover them, and what was... Do you remember the first romance novel you read? Oh, yeah. So my best friend, Katarina... She gave me a romance novel in ninth grade, and it was Julia Quinn's Splendid. Oh, okay. So first, not only romance, but uh, first time that I read a Regency romance, and I fell in love with it. So my next book after that was The Duke and I, which mm-hmm. Bridgerton season one is based off of. So I read all the Bridgerton books, and then after that, I read... Stephanie Lauren, The Sinsters, mm-hmm. and I just kept going on. I, I mean, I have garbage bags full of romance novels. Julia Quinn was the first writer that you that got you hooked. And is that why is she your favorite writer out of out of everybody? Is this why you like her so much? Because it was the first it was your introduction, the first taste of romance of this kind of genre? She's not my favorite romance writer, mm-hmm. but I'd have to say I think there is an aspect of nostalgia when I think about Julia Quinn because she is the first, but also because I feel like if you are going to read Regency Romance, she's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, 
Her writing is very simple. Her dialogue is witty. It's not hard to understand uh, the different ranking systems, especially when you've never heard these words before. I mean, the way they talk is different. And I feel like Julia Quinn does a great job of kind of bringing in those new readers and introducing them to the world without being overbearing. Yeah. Without complicating. So it's simple, it's fun, it's entertaining, it's fast. Yes, the tropes are, you know, <laughs> typical, and but it's just, if you read it in a couple hours and, you know, it passes the time. Yeah. And she, she's really good at it. So she is one of my favorites. She is one of your favorites. Is she in your top three? <sighs> oh, it's so hard because, like I said, Splendid by Julia Quinn, I would put in my top three uh-huh. favorite romance. Mm-hmm. But I think there's that nostalgia factor I can't away from and I think she's she's funny and she's you know simple and cute and I actually I mean as we go further and talk about romance novels I really like deep emotional Mm -hmm. dramatic stories and this is kind of the opposite Mm -hmm. so in that in that vein she's not my favorite but I would if I had to, if I had to pick, Julia Quinn and Splendid would be up there with my favorite. Okay, okay. Yeah, so let's talk Bridgerton. So Bridgerton is the hot show right now, right? Uh, it's number one on Netflix worldwide. Um, and everybody's going off on it, men and women on Twitter, just going a bit crazy about, you know, the cast and how they cast and the story and what happens and oh my god this is my favorite character and I want to see all eight brothers and sisters get their due which you know they want to do but that's going to take at least eight to 14 years probably to produce this because it was a monumental production so before we get into the series let's talk the books so you read The Duke and I was a second romance novel you read did you and then I read all the books after Okay. So I read the entire series. Read the entire series as soon as they came out. Um, so I wanted to ask you, this is going to be a later question, so how would you rank them in, in your favorites? Whose story would go first through the last? Who, which one's your favorite out of the eight? I mean, so spoilers ahead. Uh, I would have to say that I love Colin's book. Yes, people like Colin's book. With Yes, with our favorites, favorite redhead. Yes, yes. Plus, I mean... Because Penelope is not your typical heroine, and that's kind of where I usually like a lot of... I like my heroines to be strong, to be opinionated, and I love the fact that Penelope doesn't look like the other girls of the time. She's not a diamond at the first water, as they like to say. She's uh, smart. She has a job. I'm not going to say what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, she And, you know, she has this crush, just like, like all of us have had at one point, on the bad boy, the fun, like the popular mm-hmm. guy calling, you know, he's, he's been through tons of women and she's kind of like the wallflower and she's overweight and she's overlooked. And I think it was just beautiful the way they came together. Uh, one of my favorite moments, and I actually included this in the series was when, uh, Lady Cowper kind of throws her water on mm-hmm. dress, mm-hmm. and Colin is like, Oh yeah, well, F you, I'm dancing with Penelope. And I just love that dynamic between them. So that's definitely my favorite. Um, and then I'd have to say The Duke and I. I loved, I mean, I, I loved the series. We can get into that later. Yeah. But the book itself, I loved Simon's vulnerability of a stutter. Mm-hmm. I love when there's like, you didn't see too much of it besides 
when he was younger in mm-hmm. the actual Netflix series, but in the book, it's prominent throughout. And I just, I love that vulnerability that he has. And it's kind of like, you know, the big bad Duke has a stutter sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, third, it would have to be Anthony. Cause I loved Kate. You love Kate. Loved a lot of people love Kate. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I loved her as a heroine because she was strong and she didn't fall for Anthony's charm. And she was kind of like, didn't really care that he was a Viscount. So that just goes along with the whole, you know, strong heroine. After that, I think they're kind of, I mean, I love that Benedict goes for, you know, the poor girl. I love that aspect of it. Um, I loved, I think my least favorite would have to be Hyacinth, which was the last one. Mm. Just because she was such a strong presence in the other books. She was always causing trouble. She was like, you know, the crazy little sister. And her book, I didn't totally feel like she lived up to that. I was kind of expecting more, kind of more excitement. But after that, it's kind of the same. But Colin's book was definitely my favorite. Okay. Yeah, I think I think I would agree with you. I think I like that book out of like the four or five that I read. I like that book the most because I liked Penelope as a as a heroine, as a love interest. And I like the fact that they had a friendship as the basis for their, for their love. It wasn't a meet cute. It was like they grew up together. They grew up as neighbors. And as much as he overlooked her, he was always on hand to, like you said, save her from, from being humiliated by the queen bitch of the town at the time. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. But did you read Gregory's? I think Gregory's was the last one that was, that was published, obviously, because he's the youngest. I did read Gregory's and I have a picture in London where I'm walking through Hyde Park because I studied abroad there and I'm like waiting for Gregory Bridgerton because I had just, um, I had just read that book or reread it while I was there Mm -hmm. and I, I did like Gregory's. Mm -hmm. Now I haven't, I don't think I've read it since, but I believe he was in love with someone else and the girl was kind of on the outside, right? I think so. I, I didn't read it, so. Yeah, I love the, I do like the trope of like, you know, what's right in front of you. You I, don't I, see it, I, yeah. I mean, we're not going to get to Gregory's book for a while, at least I hope. <laughs> yeah, you hope they do it in the proper order of publishing, because that would make the most sense. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you find out who's with whom a little too early. Um, so... Okay, you have the books. You have a favorite in the books, right? You have a favorite book. But who's your favorite Bridgerton? Oh, I mean, I I think Anthony. He's so, like, he's so flawed, mm-hmm. and he's so complex, and, he, and he's very layered. I mean, his father died, and now he's the head of the family. He has all this responsibility, and he's not exactly likable sometimes, but his love for Kate of what you see in the book is was just so beautiful in the end. And his, you know, I was texting my friend while watching the Bridgertons and I was mm-hmm. like, Anthony is like going way too hard. <laughs> he's like so wrong for her. She's, he's like playing her. And I just, I like when somebody goes from being really unlikable to like redeeming themselves. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that Anthony will redeem himself in the series. Reformed rakes make the best husbands, as they say. Exactly, and I think Anthony is a great example of that. Okay. I have high hopes for the second season. Yeah, yeah. Um, Talking a little bit more about the books, what do you think, why do you think, 
Okay, this is the big question. Why do you think that this was the series that somebody decided to go and option and get Shondaland or whomever involved out of all the different romance writers who write about siblings and whatever, because there's quite a few of them. As you said, the Sinister series is very, very popular. You've got this, you've got Mary Billogs. Why do you think this one? Why, you know, what, what is special about the Bridgerton series? The books. So what I, like, I, I'm totally not surprised. The, I mean, I never in my wildest dreams that I think that something like the Bridgerton would ever be made. Really? I have been trying to do this for a very long time. <laughs> I mean, it was, when I first saw that news, I was shocked that this little historical romance series that I loved as a child was now becoming a show. And I think the reason I think that the Bridgertons was chosen is it's, it's, fun sim- simplicity mm-hmm. it's 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 adaptable there's eight different stories that are with eight different tropes and there's i don't i think it's just her her dialogue was witty the characters were lovable um and i think i read the quote where it's if you like i, I think i mentioned before like if you've never read regency start here yeah and i think good it was just a good jumping off point to have that type of series because it was just, it's so easy to follow. The characters are so different and, and flawed and you love them. And I don't know, like, I feel like the Sinsters, it was kind of more like Devil, the first mm-hmm. Sinster, mm-hmm. Devil and Honoria, which yeah. I do love that book, but it was just darker. Yeah. And it was... Level wasn't as likable yep. because he was sort of short and he he wasn't funny. Yeah, and you know it's I, I think the Bridgertons are just lighthearted and it it was just an easy family to fall in love with. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious too because I think um, Outlander getting to stars and getting um, you know being adapted for that had opened up this whole new adaptation. Uh, you know, area that, that people weren't thinking of. And it was actually a man who's a writer for Shondaland who actually was the one who pushed to get it, to get it, uh, to buy the rights, to get it optioned for, um, for, uh, TV or streaming as we call it now. Um, which is very interesting because I think Outlander really like, you know, pushed it over the edge. Like, Oh, there's historical romances and there's time travel. Oh, but there's one set in this period and that period. And it's nice because I think what's, what's one thing I've seen on Twitter and one thing I've seen and heard uh, people talking about is now they're, they're learning a bit more about history for one thing and a bit more about, um, you know, of course they know who a Duke and a Duchess is based because on Harry and Meghan, right. But they don't know what they probably didn't know that, Viscount was pronounced Viscount, um, right. right? And they were probably like read it and would read it Viscount. What's a Viscount? Um, yeah, and now they're like a Viscount, and now they're going to learn like a little bit about history, a little bit about culture, a little bit about mores, and all that stuff. Which I think romance novels do a really, especially historical ones, obviously do a really, really good job. Before we get into yeah. the series, right with scandal, it's such a you know people love following the royals, yeah, and. There's, since it was so strict, it's just, there's so much, I mean, it's just like delicious scandal, gossip. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said before, reading should 
you know, make you smarter and give you pleasure. And a lot of these historical romances are so well written and have a lot of historical details in them that they do make you smarter. I do prefer ones like you tend to like, you like these lighthearted. You're talking about dark and tragic and stuff like that as well. But these are very lighthearted. They don't go into the war. They're, They're a bit more like Pride and Prejudice where they don't talk about the soldiers are off at war right now. So talking about the darker ones, is that what you what you mean by where there's a bit more of this anguish and tragedy before the couple gets together that you tend to like? Or is it because they make you cry? I mean, what is it about the kind of darker, darker ones that you like? So I see, like, for instance, I see Bridgerton as like a palate cleanser. Yeah. Like if I read a very heavy, emotional book, like some of these books, that, and, I, and I love that. It's like an escape and you're, you know... In these emotional books, they really like you're living the life of you're living an experience you've never had before, and it brings out emotions in you that you never would otherwise have to experience. And the stakes are higher, um, and you do learn, like you said. I mean, I'm with you on the whole war thing. That's not like I don't like to get too bogged down by that. Mm-hmm. But personal stories and personal tragedies, it's just. I mean, sometimes it can be relatable, sometimes it's not. And it's just, I, I do love those stories when the stakes are so high and you're on the edge of your seat. On the Bridgertons, you're not on the edge of your seat. It's like you're, it's a pastime. Mm-hmm. And you, so, I mean, it, it depends what type of mood I'm in. Like, sometimes I want to read a book where I'll cry myself to sleep and other times I just want to, like, a simple read. So I think it kind of depends on my mood. Yeah, yeah. Um... Is there a writer that you would recommend who writes more in that heavier kind of not so lighthearted um, tone? Yes, Colleen Hoover. Colleen Hoover. I have not heard of Colleen Hoover. She writes contemporary. Oh, contemporary. That's why. Okay. And she is fabulous at evoking emotions. And she is one of my favorite for contemporary. If I had to recommend like a fantasy it would have to be um, Sabah Tahir. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of her? Yes, yes, yes. That is the most emotional. Like, it, it, it does have, like, battle scenes and everything, but it's just so emotional. She's not afraid to, like, break your heart, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you know, you're in the mood for a happy, happily ever after. Other times, you just want something um, a little heavier. But I love her. And then Sarah J. Moss, Court of Court of Thorn and Roses series and mm-hmm. Kingdom of Ash series I loved um, and that's kind of what I've been reading lately I mean I also got into like all the other stuff you were talking about yeah. I, I think I've read like two westerns I just couldn't you couldn't do it right for the same reasons I hope <laughs> um, yeah that and just like I, I can't just the cowboy like I don't know this wasn't my thing it's not your fantasy yeah no and it's I mean sometimes it's like if I can't take the hero and heroine seriously. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> it has to be believable. The characters have to be believable. The romance has to be believable. You have to want to root for them. Otherwise, you're just like, I hate both of these people. Why exactly. do I want them to be happy? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think um, Sarah J. Maas, Sabah Tahir, and Colleen Hoover do a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do root for their characters. It's like a gut punch, their stories, and... I would definitely recommend those for heavier reads. Heavier yeah. Emotions. Yeah. 
So now we're going to talk about the series. So you just finished. I binged it in one night because I even, I will tell you my feelings on it later, but um, I binged it in one night because I was like, it's going to be all over, you know, the internet and I don't want to miss out. So I binged it in one night. It took you a little bit longer, even though you're a bigger fan of Quinn. Did you like it? I did. I think it injected a freshness into the historical romance genre that it needed. Like when I heard that Shonda was doing it, I was so happy because I knew there would be diversity. I Mm -hmm. knew there would be great drama. And although I do have critiques, I still would say that I was overall satisfied with the series. I mean, I felt watching it, I felt kind of like how I felt when I was reading the books. Satisfied. That's what you always want to be with a romance. Satisfied. because I was like, if I watch all episodes, it's going to be done, and then you have to wait two years. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I do have critiques, I'm just like anything else. What didn't you like about it? I mean, well... You can nitpick. I mean, Shonda probably won't ever listen to this, but you can nitpick. (laughs) I mean, I did like the characterizations, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my favorite characters in the books was uh, Violet Bridgerton, the mother. Mm-hmm. And I felt that she was kind of a little bit weaker and not yeah. as, you know, sassy as she was in the books. I Maybe this was to make her children stand out a little bit more. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Uh, and kind of they had Anthony in that domineering role. But she was a little bit more broody and quieter in the books. But I, that stood out to me. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I liked it right now. I okay. Okay. That's great. Did you, did you think the costumes were good? Did you think the settings were good? Did you think it was like, did you look at it and say, my God, they spent millions of dollars on this? I, you know what I love? The two things that like little things that I loved were the paintings that were custom made. Mm. They yeah. Were so cool. And just like little touches and details like that. I loved and then the music had that, you know, they were playing modern songs. Yeah. So I thought that was, you know, a very unique way to, again, inject freshness mm-hmm. into this genre without, you know, it being too, too stuffy. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously it's not historically accurate, but it's still, you know, this is 2020. We're enjoying the, enjoying a different spin on the series. So I love the costumes. I loved the introduction of the queen into things. I think that's, you know, that she because was she was supposedly supposedly part African, Charlotte, Queen Charlotte, uh, based yeah. on actual historical details. She was actually part black, so that was a um, nuanced casting. Um, and then I guess you know, making um, some other members of the of the cast uh, of different races and stuff like that just made it make more sense that way. I think that was the way to easing into it so that people weren't going to nitpick. Like, why did you put, why is Simon a black guy and not this white guy with blue eyes? He has blue eyes in the book, I think. Um, yeah. So you like the costumes, you like the casting. Did you think that the casting of the, of Daphne and Simon was good? <laughs> you did it. I did. You did. Okay. I mean, I, I hated Daphne's baby bang. Like, I couldn't... Oh, my that. God. The hairdo. It was just like, <laughs> fix this wig. My God. Fix this wig. I, I, didn't, I wasn't feeling that at all. 
But I remember when Julia, when we, they first started announcing the casting uh-huh. on Julia Quinn's Instagram, there was just an uproar because Simon was black. And people wow. were just, you know, I'm not racist, but if you're going to go by the book, Simon has lies and he looks like this. Like, why would you change it? And it's just like, I just, I, I was so excited that there was going to be diversity because who would want to watch an actual show, you know, like without any and it's Shonda like who wouldn't expect exactly exactly why is it surprising and the character of Simon you know he was unhappy and he was brooding and he was troubled and he was sad and he was lonely and I think the character that was cast captured all those emotions I mean Mm -hmm. that's what the character was it wasn't about his blue eyes and Julia said herself I didn't even remember he had blue eyes so it's like that didn't matter um Daphne, I mean, I didn't hate her. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> oh my God, like, but I am also someone who's like not. Tied so heavily into. Yes. Yeah, yeah, what they look like and whatever. See, I am, I'm very invested in, in, in the looks. Like I, I, I was gung-ho on the, on the diversity. I didn't think yes. the two of them had any chemistry whatsoever. And that just lost me on it. And, and Daphne is just this kind of like, the way they portrayed her in the sh- in in the series is just like oh you're just so vapid and insipid and the actress I'm sorry um, I just I saw her in Younger and I didn't like her acting in Younger and I didn't like her acting in this like I think they could have picked a, a different actress for it um, but I didn't feel like they had any the sex scenes were like uh, the what scenes feel real the sex scenes sex scenes didn't feel um, the sex scenes, the sex scenes felt as real as they could. The only thing that made me laugh was like, they were like, the sex was over so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, literally like I was, I was even putting my, my, uh, watch to my hand going, well, that was 23, 23 seconds total from yeah, discarding the clothes to whatever. Um, and let's be real. Like, I mean, yeah, in the books, they, they sort of rush through the sex scenes in like four or five pages, but in reality, most women are not going to be quite satisfied with 23 seconds yeah, from right, foreplay right. to... Uh, I really have the same exact thought, so uh, I'm there with you. Yeah. But, I mean, there was... I, I mean, I felt like some of their, like, facial expressions, I guess, were, like, authentic. Uh, well, yeah, I mean... I mean, they know their their nail. They know their O face, right? Um, they probably practice in front of a mirror, or you know, to make sure it was authentic. So they had their O face. The the one thing that that bothers me is that she, you know, she's a virgin, and then uh, orgasm right away in the first time, and it's just like, you yeah. know, um, I think they could have, if they're going to update it and update it with diversity and stuff, they should update it with, you know, the reality of, of the situation. Talking about the sex scenes, there's the problematic sex scene that yes. everybody's talking about that was in the book and that they decided to keep. And yes. everybody's saying it's Not basically... Exactly, they did change it. They did change it, but still it's like she's forcing him to do something. So it's, it's, it's a rape of a kind. Um, how do you feel about them keeping that in? So in the books, I remember he was drunk. Right. And she took advantage of him while he was drunk. Yes. So not I, I don't think it makes it better that he wasn't drunk. I didn't get the vibe that he couldn't have pushed like he, he couldn't I, have pushed that flimsy little girl off of him. 
Exactly. <laughs> and, I, and they also took away his anger, which mm. I think was an indication that he didn't feel like after they had, after that happened in the book, he was furious. Yeah. Like he realized what happened and he felt totally taken advantage of. And he was. Yeah. Yeah. He, he totally was. And it's something you see in, in Regency romance all the time. I mean, but it's in the, in the actual Netflix series, he didn't have the anger. He wasn't drunk. I felt like he was in control of the situation a little bit. He was lost in the moment. So I feel like it didn't bother me as much. It still makes me uncomfortable because she was like pressuring, mm. but it didn't bother me as much as it did in the book when okay. I read it. It okay. didn't feel like, oh, that's kind of icky and gross. Yeah. Like it felt like he, he did have more say and control of the situation in the actual series. And I think mm-hmm. they did that for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay. That's all, that's all interesting to me. Uh, so you like the costumes, you like the sets, you like the casting as far as not just the casting of them. What do you think about the casting for Colin and Benedict and everybody else? Did you think they did a good job? Did you, is that what you imagine them to look like? If you like, if there was an actor to plop into that role, is that what you expected them to look like? I think the only two that I actually loved out of the whole series were Penelope and Eloise. Mm-hmm. I thought they were very well cast. And mm-hmm. I think the actress for Eloise kind of stood out. She's so good. Like, She's so good. Her yes. like facial expressions and her yes. snarky comments were so good. And everybody, everybody's shipping them. Everybody's shipping them. And they're like, please tell me that there's a lesbian love story here between the two of them and they get together. Please, 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 <laughs> please. Because those are the two characters everybody's raving about. And that the actress, um, both actresses are really good. But the actress for Eloise is, um, I looked on her Instagram and whatever, and she's just, just really really good she played it and you know she played a teenager really well um she played a kind of like you know nerdy teenager it's like get away from me i don't want to get married i just want to read the books and my favorite line of hers there's two favorite lines the one where it's like uh paint a picture it'll last longer was great when she said it to that guy and the other one where she's eating the chocolates she's like i don't like to share my food and then, then then her brothers come over and just take the chocolates from her and she's like what the fuck those are really, really great. So she was fantastic. I think that was great casting. I think the guy they got for Benedict was really good casting. Yes. I don't yes. like the guy they got for Colin. He's not so dashing. I wanted a bit more dashing. A little bit more dashing and just, he was, you know, funnier in the books. And one thing I really liked about Colin was he had a close, in the books, was that he had a really close relationship with Daphne. Right. And I didn't get that vibe here. I kind of got, like, when she went to follow them after, like, to stop Anthony and Simon's duel, mm-hmm. Colin right away right. was on the and he's like, let's go, like, I got your back. But of course, and I was like, oh man, like he, he stopped to, he like, he like tried to stop her. And that's one of the moments I was like, it's not like the books. Yeah. But uh, I agree about Colin. He definitely could be more dashing. Yeah. He doesn't seem like, you know, somebody that everybody would have their eye on. Yeah. If, you know, but Benedict, I agree with. Um, Anthony, I'm happy with. He's a little on the short side, though. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. You know, in the books, it's like my big, big, strong brothers, right? And none of them look very big and strong to me. They look like they're, you know, medium height and slender, which is, you know, totally fine. I like that. Um, Right. But, yeah. um, 
But I thought the act, Anthony's acting was, was really, really good. Um, I think they put too much focus on him and, and Sienna, though. And I think it's not Sienna in the books. It's like Maria or Marina or something. Marina Rosso or something is the Marie, mistress. Marie, I did <coughs> her really because she was so fleeting. She yeah. wasn't yeah. a big part. Um, I think they're kind of setting up maybe like a love triangle. I don't know. Although it felt like goodbye at the end of the series for them. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. I don't know if it was a love triangle so much. I think maybe they were just trying to say, like, this is how abused women were at that time. Like, they only got the chance to either you were poor or you were rich. And if you were rich, you were, you know, supposed to be married off to somebody you didn't love. And if you were poor, you'd have sex with the hottest guy, but he would never marry you. So maybe that's why they they put that in there so that people would say, like, oh, wow, like even non-aristocratic women had it had it bad, you know, they couldn't just live their lives sort of thing. Um, right. And to set up Anthony's, um, you know, now we know how jaded he is. Now we know that mm. he's had this past. So he's going into this romance with Kate, you know, and now we know okay. his background and how yeah. he's been through. Huh. But I mean, I, I genuinely hope there's no hope for him and Sienna. I saw some people rooting for them and I'm like, Oh, like she deserves better. <laughs> yeah, she does deserve. And the guy that she, she was with who opened the door was pretty attractive. So it's like, take him and run, take him and run. He had good hair too. Uh, I was like, I want to see more of him. I want to ask you about a character that they, well, there's two characters they put in this book that or in this series that were in different books. Um, and you know who I'm going to talk about, right? Uh, Marina? Yes. And you know yeah. who the other character is? Oh, that was in other books. Who, is, who becomes, spoiler alert, who gets married to Eloise. Um, oh, so great. Yes, yes. Yes. So he yes. makes an appearance uh, as, as, you know, um, as the future husband of Marina. And Marina's the, you know, friend uh, in this book, the country friend, and, but she's actually a cousin of the Bridgertons in the Bridgerton books. And then yep. she marries Philip and she's very depressed and has the two kids and things happen. And then Eloise comes into the picture. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. What did you think about that, that they were throwing that in and sort of turned the story around a little bit? Or do you think that they were giving like a reasoning for why Marina does what she does in Eloise's book, uh, by having this, tragic, um, you know, a tragic, uh, story in this first series. I think so. And it leads me to believe they're going to do something different than what's in the books, mm-hmm. which I'd be happy with. Um, Eloise's book, you know, is the, everybody's one. least favorite. Yeah. Cause yeah, they didn't so like Philip so much. Right. When I saw what I, when I put it together, that was Philip Crane. I was like, wait a second. Isn't that like, Eloise's guy so I had to actually look it up and then I was like oh yeah okay okay um I'm actually happy they're gonna do something maybe a little bit different with that Mm -hmm. story so I think Eloise the character as they presented her like she deserves more so I'm hoping that there's more to this Philip Crane um I really liked Marina too um I always usually like those strong characters because she wasn't in the Bridgerton series really at all just Mm -hmm. kind of like mentioning the background so I love that injection of her and her relationship with Penelope. So I was happy with all of yeah. these new character introductions. I thought it was a great storyline. Yeah. What do you think about the... Um, uh, what was that? Even for Colin, because yeah. he's so carefree in the books, and it's like now he has this in his history. 
in the series. Uh-huh. It's like he's not the. I felt. I mean, I he. I mean, Colin was sort of like, oh, just travel the world, like no, no problems. But now he has this, you know, humiliating engagement in his past. So uh-huh. it'll be interesting to see what they, that does for him too. Yeah. Um, going back to the costumes a little bit, uh, I loved, loved, loved the Featheringtons dresses. Yes. I loved every every single one of them. Yes, Portia Featherington, which is the amazing Polly Walker, plays Portia Featherington perfectly, perfectly. Yeah. Uh, and those fabrics, a lot of those fabrics, they got from um, India and uh, I forgot some one other country where they like had these handmade specifically for these gowns and for the Featheringtons, who had way better, way better dresses than than the Bridgerton girls by far, especially Portia Featherington's dresses. really faded into the background when I... Yeah, when they came in, you were just like, boom, and the red hair, you know, it it clashed with it, and it was just like, these are, these are, she's a force to be reckoned with. You immediately see that she's a force to be reckoned with, that there's going to be issues, and then, um, yeah, but poor Penelope in her ugly mustard yellow dress, this is just quite, quite uh, atrocious, but she'll get out of those soon enough. Is that the actress? Like, she did, like, not, to, I mean, she was beautiful, but just, like, that wasn't her color. Yeah. And they made yeah. it, like, like, she's, I'm so excited when she goes through her transformation. Yeah. Because she's just going to die. Because the actress is, I mean, she's, she's lovely. She's lovely. And she's a natural blonde, I believe. Um, and mm-hmm. I think she's in a show called Dairy Girls. She's Irish uh, and is just, just gorgeous. So that transformation is going to be really, really nice because, the hairdo was just not doing her any favors oh. or the color. And it's like, all you need is a better haircut and a better fitting dress and girl, you're going to knock them over and they won't know what happens. So I thought they did a really nice job. I think the the settings were really beautiful. I mean, they must've spent so much money to actually get access to a lot of these estates. But as we know nowadays, a lot of these estates can't um, this is not the Regency period where they relied on their uh, tenants to farm on their land and you know pay them rent and pay them taxes uh, so yeah. that they could keep uh, to the style that they were accustomed to and, and keep making the money and living lavish lifestyle. And nowadays, it's like most of these estates are, you know, the, the homes are in ruins or they have to close off three quarters of them because they can't heat everything and they can't afford to uh, renovate. And Downton Abbey, uh, the, the home that's uh, the basis for Downton Abbey is now has historical tours of it. Uh, and people come for the Downton Abbey house and now they're able to live there and uh, live like their ancestors did. So I'm sure it was probably like, yes, please come in, but you can only go to these five rooms and don't touch anything and don't change anything. So it was, it was quite, quite beautiful. Like the, the settings, um, overall. Yeah. Even like the, um, the Modiste shop, and it's really I, mean, nice I saw that. each one. I was just, I trusted that it was historically accurate because mm. it's like from what I know. So I think they put a lot of time and effort into yeah. making it almost exactly as how it was back then with like the cursive on the writing on yeah the yeah it was beautiful but I think they screwed up with the costumes. So when they're undressing, there's a lot more layers that they have to get through. Yeah. There's like a chemise that's under the corset 
that's usually the last piece of clothing comes off and there's a couple of petticoats. So even though these Regency gowns are kind of diaphanous and, and high-waisted and they look like they don't have much underneath them, there actually are layers underneath them. So I think didn't think they did a very good job of that. The corsets, especially in the first opening scene when they're tightening the corsets, those look like corsets from Victorian era and not corsets from Regency era. So somebody didn't do that good of a job. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Daphne was a very, she was, you know, very small woman. So very they, small woman. They could have put a couple layers on her and it would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. So are you excited for a season two? Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, I, I love Anthony and Kate, like I said, so I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a big, uh, you know, what season two is mostly focused on. Plus, you know, Colin's obviously going to come back and get started with his really relationship with Penelope and of course the revelation of Lady Whistledown is exciting mm. so um yeah I mean why I mean I love it I, I loved it I mean it's it's basically like a show that I never imagined would come to life and now it is so I'll watch it even if I liked it less than I did to be honest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you think Anthony's going to be the next one because that's the second book right Anthony's is the second book Anthony's the second book, and I feel like they set it up for him because, I mean, we didn't even meet Sophie, who's Benedict's uh, significant other. I actually thought they were going to go in a gay direction. That's exactly where I thought it was going. Uh, And, you know, eight siblings, chances are one of them is gay in the reality of of things um, or is inclined to be bisexual, possibly. Um, Yeah, so... You know, and Benedict is the hottest actor brother out of the four. So I'm not talking about how hot Gregory is because he's a child. But uh, the other three, like, definitely, like, I was like, bring more Benedict on the screen. Uh, Yeah, I enjoyed his storyline a lot. Yeah, and he was really close to Eloise and the series. But in the books, I know Colin is the brother that's much closer to Eloise in, in, in the series. Uh, more so out of the out of the four Colin Benedict Gregory or Anthony who would who would you want to marry oh that's a tough one I mean if it's I I, I wish I could uh, going by the book series or by the tv series uh by the book series book series oh okay um by the tv series I mean there's only three you can choose from right now so you know, I don't think I would want to marry Anthony, even though I love his character the most, just because even though that would put me in the best position if I were to be born back then. Uh, but I think I'd probably go with Colin in the books. I hmm. love a, a funny, like, carefree type of guy, one that's not going to be so, you know, brooding and unhappy and locked in his, you know, office doing all of his books and whatever so I mean Colin was fun that's what I remember yeah. from the book so I picked Colin yeah uh, second probably Gregory because I remember him being fun too um but if I had to go in the series Benedict <laughs> yes there's <laughs> not many choices there's three guys uh last question before we start talking on the next next subject is so the peerage goes from Duke What's the second one? What's uh, what's after Duke? I always pronounced it the wrong way, and now I've been told I pro- I pronounced it the wrong way. Oh jeez! It's not Marquis. It's pronounced Marquis. Marquis. Yes, I've my whole life 
I pronounced it Marquis. I also, the Marquisite. When I read the books, I also pronounced it as Marquis. Marquis, right. And yeah, I have been told like, no, 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 it's Marquis. And I'm like, Marquis? Sounds horrible. Duke, Marquis, Earl, Viscount. Viscount. Baron. Lord. No, Baron is a lord. They're all lords, but Baron. Baron's the bottom. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to bring that up because I hate being wrong and I, I'm a, a, a lover of words. Words are my life as a journalist. And to yeah. be a whole life pronouncing something even in my head incorrectly just makes me go, oh my God, what is wrong with you? Uh, so yeah, uh, I did want to bring that up. Um, and now I wanted to talk about your your writing and your series. Um, can you let our listeners know a little bit about what you've been doing? Yeah, so I mean, I work on mostly digital romance stories right now for different apps. Um, I've written a few series this past year, such as Magic Locker, and I've had you know a few short stories published on Snapchat. Um, I'm currently working on one called Options, which is a romance that's not, it's, it's a high school romance, but it's based in an alternative school. So it's going to be a little bit different instead of like the football player and the cheerleader, it's going to be like, you know, based on criminals and juveniles, something a little bit different than, Hmm. you know, your typical high school romance. But right now I'm writing a lot of focused tropes for Gen Z. So a lot of it, uh, is very lighthearted and fun. Basically, like if you've read the N.A. romance genre. What's the N.A. romance genre? New adult. New adult, as opposed to young adult. Yes, so it's in between young adult and then contemporary romance. It's a lot of college. It's a lot of, you you know, people discovering them, like 18 to 25, I'd say, is like new adult, where people mm-hmm. are kind of discovering, you know, that age group of first loves and, or first heartbreaks of, you know. And we've all been there, haven't we? Yes, yeah. more than once. <laughs> <laughs> more than once. First loves more than once. Uh, how did you get involved in this? Like, why did you, I, I know you wanted to write uh, romance novels, but why did you go this route versus the traditional publishing, um, typing away on your computer route? Yeah, so I I started off uh, writing for episode, but mm-hmm. I was I always had a full time job, and this was just kind of like my side work I would do for fun. Um, they found me out because I, I wrote a ton of fan fiction. A woman from episode, she's like, you know, I loved your Harry Potter fan fiction. Harry Potter fan fiction. <laughs> oh boy. For uh, episode. And so I think it was back in 2014, I started writing for episode, which now is huge. Um, and it's kind of like the new way to read stories because people that are, you know, younger than myself, they aren't necessarily picking up or have the time to read these huge novels. So I started writing shorter stories that you could read on the train ride to work or, you know, on your phone with visuals where you could make choices mm-hmm. about what the characters are going to do instead of just, you know, one long story. So the digital writing space right now is, you know, growing all the time. And now I have a couple stories that were made into short films. Um, That's great. Which is another app. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and it's just quicker and it's faster and it's yeah. easier. The traditional publishing route is 
it's, it's an absolute headache. I do have a middle grade novel that I'm writing that I'm, I'm looking to shop around mm-hmm. uh, in the next, in the beginning of 2021, but it's, it's just, this is, I can have my stories published with the click of a button instead yeah. of, yeah. you know, a year later under somebody else's, you know, auspices. Yeah. Is this lucrative for you? Is this allowed you to just devote your time to this and not have to have a day job anymore? Yeah. Right now I work uh, full time with salary and benefits for uh, Hooked. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's my full time job and it's the best one I've ever had. So I love it. I'm very happy doing it. Um, Although I do write a lot of, uh, what is it? uh, Tropey. High school jock bad boy. Oh well, that is that. Is there any other? I mean, besides like the I don't know the nerd or the artsy fartsy guy. There's not so much to choose from in high school. They're not that. The guys are not so dynamic uh, as they are when they're a little bit older. Fun with it. My story, Magic Locker, is a very different type of high school story. Um, In my story, Sweet, I have a overweight heroine. That's great. So I like to kind of do stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, different things. So I do have room to move around, but it's uh, it's it's fun. It's fun. I, I I really enjoy it. And does it allow you to have time to still read your uh, historical romances? Oh, I do. I do still read. Yes, not as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was traveling to New York, for instance, working with you. Uh, I had that train ride that was an hour. So I would read kind of like three books a week. Uh, and now I don't have as much time, but I do, I do try and read, um, a book every two weeks, I'd say. That's good. That's still good. And do you just download them, um, on Kindle or something, or do you buy the actual hard copy? Oh, I'm such a Kindle person. I do. If I really like a book, I'll buy the hard copy. Um, there's a new Harry Potter that just came out too, and it has all these amazing pop-outs and mm. illustrations. So I bought that. Uh, if a book is special, I'll buy the hardcover, mm-hmm. but I do read on my phone. I wish I could say, you know, I was a tried-and-true print lover, but <laughs> it's just easier and cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a tried-and-true print lover, and now I download, download my books and read them on my phone, which is very good if you have ever been embarrassed about reading romance novels because in the past they used to have the covers with Fabio if anybody doesn't know who Fabio is look him up you'll be like oh god this guy I've seen this guy and the girl always had like look like she was like trying to get away from him but her bra was or boob was popping out and the guy's all muscle chest and pulling her in and those were the books and you'd be embarrassed about reading those because the covers are so horrible and now the covers are much softer they're much more romantic they look like something out of Austin um, it's usually just the female on, on the cover in a pretty dress, like either giving a wicked look or coy a smile or, or, you know, looking off into the distance with wearing her bonnet. So, you know, when you're reading them, if you have a, a, a paperback, you're not so embarrassed anymore as you were when I was a kid reading the Viking ones. Oh my God. I mean, I, I don't know how many books I've read that had Fabio as the cover model. I'm like, this is not how I am imagining the hero okay please do not and I met Fabio and I met Fabio so I met the actual guy uh and I told him I spoke a little Italian and then he just started rattling off Italian to me and get (laughs) got a little too close to me in the picture but um yeah yeah I feel like 
the problem with like with doing that is everybody imagines the hero so differently. It's mm-hmm. like you don't want to put. Sometimes if they would put a guy on the cover, it would like ruin my reading experience because I would keep thinking of the guy that I didn't find attractive on the cover, and I'd be like, but and then I, then they moved into like just showing like the midsection. Yeah. So you know, it was a nice midsection. So <laughs> nice. They always have six pack abs. They always do, and that's the thing about about these books. Majority of them. Um, they'll give you a plain woman. They'll give you a heavier woman. They'll give you a kind of awkward woman. But the man is always tall, always the only guy in the ton who doesn't need padding to fill his fill his <laughs> waistcoat. Who actually, you know, rides and and farms with his tenants, so he's you know muscular and full head of hair and beautiful. And sometimes the guys are not absolutely beautiful they might have a scar on their face and be disfigured in some way uh but a slight disfigurement but what was that nobody was bothered by the scar on the face yeah it's like what he has a scar Ooh, so horrible i did read one recently that the guy was really horribly disfigured on one side like he had been carved like he was beautiful before then somebody really did a number on him and it's like when he turned his face it was like just mangled flesh and whatever and you know he's still got this beautiful heroine and um you know so that was kind of nice i kind of like the ones where it's not always um they're not always perfect but every once in a while i want to be like now i want a perfect looking heroine heroine because that's the fantasy right you want the beautiful people to meet the beautiful people um and yes, exactly. And you don't want to read like the sex scenes and hear about like <laughs> the descriptors would be so different. Yeah. So, so the, yeah. So the sex scenes, do you like a lurid sex scene or do you like this kind of softer sex scene? Or are you in the middle? I've read all over the map with that one. Like mm-hmm. very disturbing scenes to like extremely way too vague scenes. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, I mean, I think some of the best scenes that I've read are either in the middle or so well done with what we do have on the page that it doesn't matter. Cause usually I'd say, well, I like the more descriptive ones, but if it's too descriptive, it's almost like, okay, like I don't need page after page after page after page of this. It's more like quant- like quality over quantity, mm-hmm. I'd say. Yeah. I, some of them, like, like some of them are just the talking and, like, which the talking, if it's done well, is great. But sometimes it's just like, oh, God, like, this is. Just get on with it. Just get on with it. Yeah. I don't want to hear you say uh, five or ten different dirty words for a, a woman's anatomy, you know, genitalia or whatever. And it's just like every, every possible word that they can, they can find to, to say that. Um, and I like when it's realistic, like yeah. 50 shades of gray. They're having oh, sex God. Like eight, nine times a day. She's having like 15, 20 orgasms. Oh God. <laughs> see, see, I'm having an orgasm right now. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm just, I, Oh, uh, we can't even that's a whole nother subject whole nother podcast episode just talking uh, about 50 shades and how it launched many imitators horrible imitators the one that was on netflix over the summer i don't know if you watched it uh 365 365 days Oh my God, that was like the most worst piece of garbage, but it was number one on Netflix for months and months and months. And it was just, 
Uh, yeah, well, one of the main problems with romance is that they glorify these abusive, mm-hmm. toxic know, relationships. Yeah, they're extremely toxic, and it makes the guy look like, oh, he's so in love with her. But that's why he's doing these things. And it's like, no, <laughs> he's he's a psychopath. Like, if he, he's a stalker, he's crazy. I mean, it, it's and that's like what this example, yeah. And Simon, it's like. Julia, the way Julia Quinn wrote it, I don't know if she meant like, oh, well, it's a woman, so it's not that bad. But to me, I read it in the book, and I was like, well, that's rape, A. It's very disturbing, and it's just, I mean, that's that's a widespread problem throughout romance. Yeah, yeah. I think at the time when it was written in 2000, there wasn't as much of a, you know... Uh, there wasn't as much talk about rape and rape culture and Me Too and this is rape and this is not. And now we're much more aware of that and being much more honest about what rape actually is. And it can happen to men if they don't feel like they can physically remove the person, like Simon probably felt like he couldn't physically remove this girl or throw her across the room because of what she was doing because that's abuse too. Uh, there, there is that. So, um, yeah, like you said, a lot of these, a lot of these romances are, are perpetuating like stalker behavior, sociopathic behavior, abusive relationship, toxic relationships like this 365 days, for instance, is completely stalker. I mean, he, he kidnaps her and tells you have to fall in love with me. You have, you have 365 days to fall in love with me. And And she she resists for, yeah, I tend to stay away from that. So that's those are never the romances that I like. No, no, but you know, but but, the, but there's women who are just like, oh, he can kidnap me any day. It's like, please don't, please don't say that. I mean, if that's your fantasy, because people do have those fantasies, that's your fantasy, whatever. But like, please don't encourage that behavior in real life because there's so many toxic relationships out there, and so. Yeah, I mean, I get there's a difference between like. You read to escape and you know it's not real, but I just feel like some people don't see the difference or like can't like like there's a difference between like a brooding, like rude standoffish hero and like an abusive hero. And it's like some people they're just like, Oh, I'd love a guy like that in real life. I'd love like an Edward Cullen or I'd love this, but it's like, no, like go back to reality. You can read about Edward in the book, but like you don't want an Edward in your life. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's like I always say: you want a you want a Fitzwilliam Darcy. You don't want a uh, Rochester. You do not want a Heathcliff. Heathcliff was the worst of the bunch. Heathcliff was so destructive. I mean, they were both destructive in that book. He was really destructive. And Rochester put his first wife in the attic. You know, he thought she was crazy and put her in the attic and tried to marry somebody else in a bigamous marriage. It's like he deserved everything that came upon him. But Darcy, brooding, too prideful, he still was a good guy. He did the right thing. He saved her sister. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's like, go after the Darcy's of the world, not the Rochester's. And for God's sakes, not the Heathcliff. If you're 14, of course, you want the bad boy. You think you can reform him. Go for the good guy. Not the nice guy. The kind guy. Because... There's a difference. Yeah. The kind right. guy. The guy who's going to be nice to strangers, be nice to the poor, be nice to service workers, and treat you well and respect you like an equal. Not like a princess, like an equal. So And for to say Simon, in the Bridgerton series book, he's a he's that fine line of brooding and kind. Yes. Anyone who hasn't read the books. Yes. 
And I think that's a great way to end this first episode. Uh, Kayla, thank you so much. And I think it's just, it's just wonderful to talk to somebody who, who knows this um, genre, the ins and the outs, and can recommend some good writers and some good books that people can start enjoying. So I appreciate yeah, that. Same and likewise. This has been such a pleasure to talk to you. I think this podcast is amazing. I think you're amazing. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, really how, much should, how much should I pay you? How much should I pay you? <laughs> Yeah, this was a blast, and um, I'm definitely honored to be your first guest, and I can't wait to listen. Great. Love store in 2021. Yes, and happy new year, and we'll talk soon. All right. Ciao. This has been a Best Revenge production.